Thank you for being here this evening. It's, it's a pleasure and honor to get to present the word uh, to you. Uh, I would ask you to go ahead and, and open your Bibles up to the book of, of Matthew. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 7 this evening. Very uh, likely a passage that is familiar uh, to most of us, if not all of us. Uh, before we, we get into our passage, though, I, I just want to share uh, a couple of things uh, with you. Um, as a young person, four or five years old, uh, I had the privilege of uh, being raised in a Christian home that required church attendance. And so every Sunday, I would go to church as a four or five-year-old, and I would go to my Sunday school class, which was called the Sunbeam Sunday School class. And in that Sunday school class, I learned three things, okay? Three things that I learned. Number one, Jesus loves all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And as a young child, I thought, I have never seen a red or yellow kid, but if they exist, Jesus loves them. So he must love all the children. Number two, I learned that if you want to grow, you need to read your Bible and pray every day. Because you have to read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And if you don't, you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. So as a young person, I would go and read my Bible and pray and then go stand in front of the mirror and go, am I taller, Jesus? Did I, did I grow? And then be concerned that I hadn't read or prayed enough because I didn't look any taller that day. The, the third thing that I learned in my four- and five-year-old Sunbeam Sunday School class was that if you are going to set about to build anything, that if you are a wise man, you will build on the rock. And only foolish people build upon the sand. Now, as Caleb already mentioned, I grew up in the Midwest. The first time I saw the ocean was in 2011 when we moved here. So I didn't know how sand worked, but I knew you didn't want to build anything on it that you needed a rock to build things on. And as four or five-year-old child, I had only ever built Legos, Duplos, and Lincoln Logs. But I knew at some point in the future when I was going to build something, it needed to be on a rock. Now, maybe some of that theology is flawed from the, from the actual text, uh, but today I, I hope to share with you from this particular passage that uh, is familiar to many of us and maybe there's some understanding in it that we can clarify for each other. So if you've opened your Bibles already to Matthew chapter 7, I'd invite you to stand with me for a reading from the Word of God. We're going to read verses 20 through, 24 through 27. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, it says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it." And this is a reading from the Word of God. You, you may be seated. What you'll notice in this particular text or series of texts is this is actually the end of the Sermon on the Mount. That began all the way back in chapter 5, verse 2. These four verses are how Jesus has, has chosen to end this Sermon 
on the mount. Even though I I mentioned how I thought I understood this passage growing up, there are actually uh, two different ways that I heard this particular passage taught. And I I would suggest that that both of those are, are probably wrong. But the first way that I heard this passage taught was that salvation was a wise decision, that that only wise people chose Christ. Well, then I was surprised to find in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So building on the rock can't simply just be a wise decision that someone makes. There there has to be something else going on. The other way that I'd heard this passage incorrectly taught is that obedience then, wise obedience, is the means to salvation. Meaning that you could do enough good works and be wise enough that God would be pleased with your behavior see you as a wise person, and then respect the way in which you lived. But then again, I was confronted with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So in this moment, I was confronted with how the passage was taught to me versus what the the Bible actually says. And so I I came back to this text to to try to to understand it through the lens of of Scripture more completely. When you read this text, at first it seems to be a simple comparison between a wise man and a foolish man. A house or something that's built on the rock and something that's built on the sand. And and that seems to even fit with what Jesus is doing in chapter 7. This is actually the the third in the list of this chapter of two different kinds of things. If you'll look just a few verses back with me into Romans chapter, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we see two types of gates and two types of roads. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And then again, he makes another comparison in the next set of verses. In verses 15 through 20, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a deceased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And then again in verses 24 through 27, there's a comparison that's made between foundations and builders. But let me suggest to you that there's more than than just a simple comparison that's happening in these chapters. There's something more significant that's being communicated to us. If you'd look with me at at verse 24, we're going to find is that, in fact, a wise man is an obedient man. He is one who hears the word of the Lord and acts on those words. 
He is likened in this passage, the wise man is, to one who has built his house upon the rock. Now, Jesus could be pointing backwards to a couple different Proverbs. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. In this particular chapter, in most of our Bibles, there would be a title here that would say something along the lines of the way of wisdom. And he starts out in verse 1 by saying, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. There's this idea that, that wisdom puts down a foundation that, that is deep and has many pillars that support it. He could be referencing Proverbs 9. He could also be referencing Proverbs 24. If you turn over a few pages in your Bibles to Proverbs 24. In particular, verse 3. By wisdom... A house is built, and by understanding, it's established. So even from the Proverbs, there's this idea that's communicated that wisdom is in some sense the foundation for a house that's that's being built. But what we find about this particular house, this particular building that's being built, is that it's about to, to go under some turmoil. Matthew chapter 7, verse 25 tells us that there's a rain that fell and floods that came and winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, there is a description that's being made here that would have been common to them. This rain that fell, these floods came, and if you can picture it in your mind, it's a very arid, dry area of the world. And when a rain, a a very strong torrential rain happens, the land had the potential to be flooded very quickly. When the rain finally comes, there would be torrents of of waters that would potentially even fill the ravines that ran alongside of the, the homes and the houses, and they would overflow and potentially take over the houses. I actually love watching these type of videos on YouTube. Do you guys do you have any other YouTube junkies here? Do you guys like YouTube? It's like a wormhole or a black hole of videos that you can get into uh, of watching. There are two things that I, I have watched recently. Uh, floods in like very dry areas. And then there's a guy that uh, clears out drains. Have you guys ever seen this? He goes around and he unclogs drains so floods go away. So like I have in my mind these different floods that I have seen on YouTube. And, and it's fun to watch these uh, floods on YouTube because the floods that are happening aren't happening to me, right? It's happening to someone else's house, to someone else's car. I'll never forget, we hadn't been here very long, um, when Sandy happened. And the destruction that happened to all of those houses uh, when Sandy rolled in and knocked out of the knocked the power, knocked everything out, and then we had that snowstorm shortly after that, and and many of us were without power. I think we were without power for ten days. Is that what it was, babe? Ten or eleven days that we were without power. 
My kids thought it was great because we all went to the church and everybody brought everything that was in their freezers, like their ice cream and, and frozen waffles. And so my kids think that hurricanes are like the greatest thing ever because they get to eat ice cream and donuts and waffles when it happens. But we had friends who lived on Long Beach and their parents live with them. Their parents live in the upstairs of their house. And they didn't want to leave the house when the flood came. And so they stayed in the upstairs and they watched the water rise up and start to come up the stairs to the, their apartment where they have upstairs. This idea of a flood is actually a very terrifying thing. That, that it can come upon you so quickly that, that you're not prepared for it. Let me just say that oftentimes in the scriptures, the, the, the analogy of water, the analogy of flood is not just one of physical destruction, but in fact a sign of judgment from God. If you think about it just for a few moments, you, you would know this to be true, even if you just think back to Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. If you remember the story of Noah, how does God go about bringing his judgment upon the world? He does it through a cataclysmic worldwide flood in which only one family is saved from that flood. Remember Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. So the judgment of God comes upon the earth because of what's happened and brings about the judgment through the flood. In some sense, this also happens in the Exodus as well. Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. Remember, uh, the Lord says to Moses in this passage, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through on the sea on dry ground. So God does this amazing thing where this water that is on one side of them is preventing them from escaping the Egyptians who are on the other side about to kill them. He opens the water and allows them to pass through. He provides a type of salvation for them. But the same water that he uses to protect his people with becomes the way in which he mets out judgment upon the Egyptian, or upon the Egyptians. Uh, in verse 28 of Exodus chapter 14, it says, The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, and not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. What we're seeing in this particular passage is linked with just the preceding verses. We're going to mention this again in just a moment, but this idea of the rain that's falling, I used to believe was just circumstances that would happen on your life. But based on the preceding verses, God is giving a warning that there is a judgment that is coming one day, and every person will give an account for the way in which they live. What's, what's interesting here in these two verses, you, you see these words fell and fall to describe the, the rain and the storm. It's actually a play on words that defies our normal experience. When we, we read in verse 26, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. 
the expectation in verse 25 is that the storm is so great that in a normal circumstance, the house would not be able to stand. That as the rain and the storm falls on the house, it's expected that the house would fall. But because it's built upon the foundation, because it's built upon the rock, it does not fall. It does not fall because it has a good foundation. Now, in verse 26, we see a second person enter the teaching. And this person's been contrasted with the wise person, and he's called a a foolish man. Now, a foolish man isn't necessarily a dumb person. It doesn't mean that they are... uh, So I'll I'll share this with you. Hopefully you appreciate it. Um, We're trying to not use the word dumb in our house. I have four kids. Uh, My youngest is seven. My oldest is 16. We're trying to very much not use words that uh, hurt people's feelings. And have you guys heard that uh, supposedly the more you learn, the more wrinkly your brain is? Have you guys heard this? I don't know if it's true or not. But um, kind of the, the way that we've been communicating with each other to tell someone that that was a dumb idea, we'll say that was a smooth brain idea. <laughs> so maybe we could think of this person not as a smooth brain person, they're not a, a dumb person, but potentially they lack knowledge. There's something that they're missing. Or in fact, they may not even have the ability to make a correct decision. The truth is that this person may have all kinds of knowledge. The problem is that they uh, have the wrong kind of knowledge or they've put their trust in the wrong kind of knowledge. Uh, It's not uncommon for me to hate on IKEA furniture. Um, Have you guys ever purchased IKEA furniture? Uh, Every husband in here is probably like, don't speak of IKEA. That is like a four-letter word in our house. which is not fair because it's cheap furniture. You know what you're buying when you go there. It's, we've actually had some that served us very well. But here's, here's how I've thought about it. This person who is the foolish person is like if I tried to put together IKEA furniture with the owner's manual from my car. It just wouldn't work. It's the wrong instructions. And even worse, Let's assume I bought a foreign car and the manual is in Japanese. So even the manual that I have, I can't understand, and it's not the right manual for the thing that I'm trying to do. And I might think that I have it figured out, but undoubtedly it won't be right. It won't stand, it won't be built together like it's supposed to. But what we find in verse 27 is exactly what we've described. This time when the storm comes... The house that was built doesn't stand. It was crushed by the storm, and it says great is the fall of it. It's not that the structure was so big that the falling of it was massive. What's being communicated here is that what was built was utterly destroyed. There's nothing of value that's left of it. And why? Why does the text tell us? that this house was utterly destroyed? It's utterly destroyed because the foundation is wrong, which causes the house to be built incorrectly. When we used to live in Missouri, there was a gentleman that uh, attended our church. His name was Jack. And Jack was a master carpenter. 
And at one point, they were doing an addition on his neighbor's house, and the framers had come to put up the framework outside of the house. And as they began to build the framing, Jack immediately recognized that the framing wasn't square. And he walked across the street to tell them that they were building his neighbor's house incorrectly. And they said to him, Jack, we're building the, the framing based on the foundation. We think the foundation is right and square. And Jack, is, Jack says to them, I'm telling you, it's not right. And they went back and they remeasured the foundation and found that the foundation was not square. Because Jack understood that the foundation was important for the house that was going to be built on it, he could tell that the house was being built incorrectly because the foundation wasn't correct. You see, this is the issue here in this particular text. We can try to build anything that we want out of our lives, but if the foundation is wrong, the building is going to be wrong. Part of what is Jesus is getting after in this particular text actually takes us all the way back to chapter 5. If you turn over just a couple pages with me to Matthew chapter 5, let's look at verses 17 through 20. If you remember, there's this continual argument that Jesus has with the Pharisees, with the Bible guys, the religious guys of the day. And they seem to believe that their righteousness is sufficient to earn their favor with God. And there are some that are confused that, that even in Jesus' coming, that, that he's actually come to abolish the law. Let's listen to his words in Matthew chapter 5, started in verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to these words in particular in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the immediate response to the reader, to the hearer of this should be, who in the world has a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees? They are the most righteous people that we know. So if the Pharisees can't make it in, who can make it in? You see, if, if we go back and, and understand what, what the issue is in terms of the, the reign, the, the kingdom, and entering into the kingdom of God, what we're going to see is that your works, your righteousness, what you're trying to build in your life cannot stop the wrath of God. And it cannot grant you passage into the kingdom of heaven. No one, no one can build a life that is good enough on the foundation of the sand of worldly thinking and worldly living to make it into the kingdom of heaven. No one can. You see, what, what we need, what we actually need, is the one who is the firm foundation and the one who can stop the storm itself. Turn over with me just a, a few pages back after 
uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 8, or go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. There's a picture here that Jesus is painting for us that, that sometimes gets lost in this particular context. If you remember, they have, uh, well, let's just read it. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. It says, and when he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, right? So immediately our minds should go back to chapter 7. There's a rain that comes. There's a storm that beats upon the house. And now we find Jesus in a boat when a great storm comes. It comes so much that the boat was being swamped by the waters. But he was asleep. And the disciples who are with him go with him and wake him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Brothers and sisters, what is being painted in this picture for us is what Jesus is about to accomplish on the cross just a few chapters later. Jesus is the one who can prevent the wrath of God from being poured out upon us. On his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, Jesus Christ satisfies the wrath of God. He does something that none of us can do by his perfect life, by his perfect death, and by his resurrection he allows us to have his righteousness so that when we stand before a holy God and bring about to him the life that we have lived, it is built on the right foundation and the house that's built upon it is built for his glory. In this moment, Jesus shows them that there is only one way to stop the wrath of God that will come at the judgment seat and it's him. His sacrifice pays the price for our sins and stays the wrath of God that we are due. So what's our conclusion? What are we to do to this? As Christians, in response to the sacrifice of Christ, we must, we must hear the words of God and obey them. It is the only reasonable conclusion as to what we're to do when we understand who Jesus is and in response to our salvation that he has granted to us and the wrath of God that he has stayed from us, that we must hear the words, know the words, and obey them. And so in this particular passage, this is a warning passage, but at the same time for us as believers, this is a, a passage that should cause an incredible rejoicing in your life if you are hearing the words of God and doing them. Because what that means is that the God of the universe is pleased with what you are building for him. And so keep building. Keep building by hearing his words and obeying them on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged if you are hearing the words of God and you are striving to obey them, the creator of the universe is pleased with what you are building for him. And so this passage should be an encouragement to you. But at the same time, it should be an incredible warning. If you claim to be a Christian, and you hear God's words, and you don't do them, and there is no nice way to say this, 
But let, so let me say it again. If you claim to be a Christian and you hear the words of God and you do not do them, you are not a Christian. There is no way around it. And anyone who attempts to live as a Christian without the power, without the foundation of Christ, will hear the words of Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Listen to these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a terrifying thing. And that this is something that each one of us has to consider, that have I built my life on the right foundation? Meaning, do I see that Jesus Christ is the only way to met, to met the, the wrath of God, to prevent the wrath of God, and become the foundation for my life in which I build everything, everything that I do in my life is meant to be built for his glory? Or, or am I just here today pretending that I actually love the Lord while well, all along I, I'm dependent upon my own good deeds and my own righteousness to save me? And, and if that is you, friend, you must hear these words. No one will be able to stand before the righteous judgment seat of our Lord without Jesus Christ. No one will be able to. And so today, let, let me just encourage you, even this evening, that, that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that today is the day in which that needs to happen. The Bible says that if we cry out to him and ask him to forgive us, that, that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But for you who are here today, I hope that this message and this passage is an incredible encouragement to you because the world wants to convince us what we're doing is not the best way to live your life. The, the world wants to convince you to believe that what you're building, what you're doing with your life will be a waste in the end. But this text reminds us that the exact opposite is true. That what you are building with your life to the glory of God will not just matter in this life. It's not just the best way to live your life now, but it will be the best way to live out eternity. And so be encouraged. Keep building. Let's pray. Lord, we, we are so thankful that there are these reminders from your word that, that you, as we trust upon Jesus Christ as the author and finisher of our faith, as the foundation of everything that we do, as the, the power behind what we're able to do, that we can know that you are pleased, that what we're doing works for your glory. But Lord, I would plead with you today, if there are any that are here this evening that don't know you as their Savior, that you would call them to yourself, that they would shift from sand and a life built upon it to a life that is built upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. Help us even tonight to be reinvigorated, 
to live the rest of this day and the rest of this week to your glory. Lord, we, we so look forward to the day when you're going to return and we get to spend eternity with you. But until that day happens, Lord, allow us to, to stay faithful, to persevere to your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.